And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's no doubt that the Lord's Prayer is well known. Uh, It's actually been recorded uh, as a song by some quite well-known artists. Here's just a smattering of them, Mario Lanza and uh, Andrea Bocelli, Elvis Presley, Mahalia Jackson. Uh, the Beach Boys did a version of the Lord's Prayer, Barbara Streisand, uh, Roy Harper, who was a guy who played with Led Zeppelin and a few other big bands around in the 1970s. But who could forget Sister Janet Mead? You've got to be old enough to remember this person. Uh, this song actually made it to number three in the music charts in Australia in 1974. I had to listen to it. I was going to play it, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It's just appalling. But at the time, I'm sure that it was a wonderful thing. But I often wonder, when you think about this list of people, I wonder how many of them actually understood what it was that they were singing about whether or not they actually understood the words. We come today to the final half of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, But before we start, let me just recap what we've seen so far in this passage that we're looking at. Jesus started out by saying that we're not to pray like pagans and we're not to pray like hypocrites. Pagan sounds like a very nasty word, but it's the word that just means people from other nations, People who are non-Israelites is what Jesus is actually talking about there. It's not a derogatory term, it's just a classification term. So don't pray like people in other nations, Jesus says, because the way that they pray is by thinking that their many words will be the thing that gets their prayer answered. If you say it over and over again, if you repeat the words, then surely God's got to listen to you. Now, I think that that message about not praying like pagans is probably a a helpful one for us as Christians today. We need to keep remembering that there is only one reason why God hears us when we pray, and that reason is Jesus. 
It is because of Jesus that we can have confidence in coming before God in prayer, that we can pray our Father in heaven. That's what Jesus encourages us to do. And it's because he has made that relationship with God possible. But can I say, I think there's often little bits of pagan thinking that creeps into churches. Things like all-night prayer vigils kind of have that hint of pagan thinking about them. It kind of has the idea that if we get enough people and if we pray for long enough, surely that's got to convince God or that will be something that we can use to kind of gang up on God. But God doesn't hear us because of that. He hears us because of Jesus, because of the relationship that we have with him. It doesn't matter how long or how short the prayer is, God hears us only because of Jesus. And that alone should be a great motivation for us to pray. And Jesus also says that we're not to pray like hypocrites. We're not to do it to impress the people around us. When we pray, we are to do it because we are talking to our Heavenly Father. And then in the first part of the prayer, he asks us to pray for some pretty big things. Uh, We are to pray that God's name would be hallowed, that the world might recognise how great our God is. We're asking for God's kingdom to come and we're asking for his will to be done. Now, this morning we come to the last three petitions, the last three things that we're asking for. But get ready because we're going to be encouraged to pray for things probably a little bigger than we might have imagined by looking at those words. Now, the first request that Jesus gives us there is in verse number 11, chapter 6. Give us today our daily bread. Now, you might be thinking that that's actually a pretty straightforward one, that we're simply asking for the bread that we need to eat. But the wording isn't exactly like that. Uh, The word daily can be translated a few different ways, and it doesn't appear too many times in the New Testament. But it seems uh, that the logical way to translate this would be to say, give us today the bread of tomorrow. Now, that might sound like it's complicating things a little bit, but we need to remember who it is that Jesus is talking to at this point in time. There are certain phrases that, even for us today, that if we hear that phrase, we know exactly what it's talking about. Here's here's one that you might be familiar with. Sydney 2000. Uh, Everybody remembers what that is, that they remember that that's the Olympic Games. But it's not just about remembering the Olympic Games, it's remembering the whole atmosphere, the whole time in Sydney when the Games were on, that it brings to mind everything that happened, Uh, Australia's record gold medal hall, the whole atmosphere in Sydney. See, that one little phrase, Sydney 2000, carries with it a whole lot of big ideas. Well, the words bread of tomorrow would have done the same thing for the people that Jesus is speaking to. When they heard that expression, the bread of tomorrow, one of the things that would have certainly come to mind for for Jesus' listeners would have been that pretty significant period in Israel's history when Moses is leading the people through the wilderness. Do you remember the story? That God is providing for them every single step of the way as they make their way through the desert. And God provided manna for the people of Israel. That was their daily bread. That was what they ate when they were in the desert. And God provided it for them every day, each day that they were in the wilderness. And do you remember what they had to do with the manna? 
they weren't allowed to store it up for tomorrow. They could only collect what they needed for each day. And for, the lesson for Israel was really simple. Trust God for the bread of tomorrow. Don't store it away yourself. Trust that God will provide it again for you tomorrow. And I'm sure that that's part of what Jesus has in mind here in this prayer. We are to rely on God, not just for today, but for the bread of tomorrow as well. We are to rely on God for the most basic things that we have in our life. And we are to pray that way. And we are to live that way. Do you think you trust God for the bread of tomorrow? Do you think that you trust him for the things that you need in your life? See, I think it's actually a really hard thing to do, to trust God, because there's so many other things that I'm tempted to trust in. I'm tempted to trust in job security or bank balances or credit cards or superannuation or the fact that Woolworths will have the particular bread that I want on that day, but if they don't, I can get another one anyway. So we'll be tempted to trust our own resources. We'll be tempted to be independent, self-reliant, self-confident because we think we're going to be able to provide the bread of tomorrow. Well, Jesus is, is saying you need to remember where ultimately your trust needs to be. We need to trust God for what we have today and what we hope we will have tomorrow and what we need for tomorrow. We need to live in daily dependence upon God. And that's one of the incredibly valuable things about prayer. To start your day by praying and recognising this is God's world and I'm here to serve him in everything that I do and I'm here to trust him for everything that I have. We're not just to trust him for some things, we're to trust him for all things, including the bread that we're going to have tomorrow. We're here to, we're to trust him uh, when things are getting shaky, when they're restructuring or downsizing at your workplace. You could, you're to keep trusting him when you're struggling in your marriage. You're to keep trusting him when you've got a family member who is unwell. Jesus says we should pray, give us today the bread of tomorrow. At the very least, he's saying we need to live our lives in complete dependence upon God for even the most basic things. And that's really hard to do. As I said a few weeks ago, a friend of mine uh, said, it's always hard to trust God for your daily bread when you know you've got five loaves in the freezer. And, and I think that that's the kind of thinking that we sometimes have. I think that's why we need this included in our prayer that we actually recognise our dependence upon God, that we are to live in dependence upon him. But I think it goes beyond that. See, it's the bread of tomorrow that we're asking for. Uh, another expression that has very strong kingdom overtones. Jesus has already told us that we should pray that God's name would be hallowed, that God's kingdom would come, that God's will would be done down here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And immediately after that, he says that we are to pray, that we are to ask him for the bread of tomorrow. And I think that this is a, another reference to the kingdom coming. There are literally dozens of places in the New Testament where heaven gets described as that banquet uh, that, that, that we will all share with God. And when it comes to the expectations of the people at that time, 
They would have been longing for that day to be to sit at the banquet with Abraham, as Jesus describes it in one of the parables. Not just manna in the desert, but the bread that we will eat at that banquet would have been another great reminder of the salvation that still awaits them, that there is a banquet day ahead, that the bread of tomorrow will come now. We're asking that God would bring in his kingdom. Now let me jump over the next petition, which is the one about forgiveness, and go to the last one, which is this, verse number 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. My dad grew up on the south side of Sydney in a suburb called Bexley North. Uh, uh, on the train line, about four or five stops down from Bexley North was Tempe. And, uh, and I gather it was a bit of a rough place. Because uh, when my dad was taught how to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, he was absolutely certain that he was supposed to ask, lead us not into Tempe Station. Now... I got a photo of Tempe Station. I'm not quite sure why we would not want to go there, but apparently it's... uh... But lead us not into temptation. I heard another person, uh, a mother who was teaching her daughter to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer and had been going through it with her daughter line by line. It was the first night for her daughter to pray the whole Lord's Prayer all by herself. And she was going quite well. She got to the part about lead us not into temptation. That was all good. But the next line she said was, and deliver us from email. Now, I have actually prayed that. (laughs) Now, it might be a legitimate thing for us to pray, but what Jesus is saying is that we want God to guide and direct us in the decisions that we make, in the things that we do. We don't want to find ourselves in a place where we will be tempted. We don't want to find ourselves in a situation where we're going to be, potentially going to be, dishonouring God with the life that we live. I think Jesus may have something like Psalm 23 in mind, where where the psalm says, He guides us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That God guides us in particular directions, enables us to live in a particular way, For God's name's sake, not for our sake, but for God's sake. And I think that that's what Jesus is encouraging us to pray. We've already said it, we want God's name to be hallowed. We want to live lives that are honouring to God. So we're asking God to help us to stay away from those things that aren't going to be honouring to him. It's always depressing to see Christians who continually put themselves smack dab in the middle of tempting or difficult situations, who make the conscious choice to actually go there, knowing that this is not going to be a good place for them to go. It's no good asking God not to lead us into temptation if you have no intention of staying away from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. It isn't just about you. And it's not about where you're going to find yourself. It's about God being honoured. It's about God's name being hallowed. It's about walking in paths of righteousness for the sake of God's name. I always feel a little bit sorry for our youngest son, Ben. This is a happy snap from uh, from our holiday. Um, whenever people meet him, 
the same thing comes out every time they say, gee, you look a lot like your father, which I think is really unkind because I think he's actually quite a good-looking kid and we've always promised him that surgery would probably be able to fix it later on in life anyway. But family likenesses can be incredibly strong. Uh, Our family went to pick up our oldest daughter when she was living uh, in a flat with a few other people. Uh, We were were going out to dinner, I think it was for her birthday. Uh, But her flatmate had never met the family and the family walked into the flat and there's quite a number of us when we're all there. And uh, I heard this girl lean over to Lauren and whisper, you all look the same. (laughs) I'm sure that if we got your family photos, we'd be able to see that there are family likenesses there as well. Well, when it comes to the petition about forgiveness, I think Jesus is saying that we should be bearing the family likeness. If we're going to call God our Heavenly Father, then we need to make sure that we look like part of the family. And I'm certain that that's what this part of the Lord's Prayer is about. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then it gets expanded on in verse number 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I I don't think Jesus is presenting us with a threat there. I think he's actually saying, as forgiven people, then we should be first in line when it comes to forgiving other people. He's encouraging us to bear the family likeness. We have been forgiven by God, so how are we going to deal with others? As forgiven people, how should we live? We should display the family resemblance. I think what Jesus is saying is this. If you are a forgiving, an unforgiving person, then you really need to ask yourself if you've understood God's forgiveness to you. I think the reason Jesus includes this in the prayer is, again, because it's hard to do. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that gets expanded on and explained, and I think Jesus does that because it's a difficult thing for us to do. Forgiving people is not always easy. But as someone who knows what it is to be forgiven by God, we need to work hard at being forgiving of others. And we should be praying that God would help us to do that. Well, just like the first part of the Lord's Prayer, these three petitions are actually asking for some pretty radical changes in our lives. They're things that Jesus didn't just come up with these off the top of his head. The three things that he tells his disciples to keep praying about are our daily bread, that we live our lives in complete dependence upon God, longing for the kingdom to come, forgiving our sins, that we are to continually remember that God has forgiven us and that we need to display that forgiveness to others and lead us not into temptation, that God would guide us in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake. They're pretty big things, aren't they? Three big things that that Jesus is asking us to pray for here. Which of those three do you think you need to be praying for the most? Do you think it's that trusting God thing? Do you struggle to accept that God's the one who's got it under control? Are there things that have happened in your life 
that have you questioning whether or not God really does have it under control? Do you worry about your future? Is it the resisting temptation one? Do you keep putting yourself in that situation where you know that you're doing the wrong thing, but you're not going to worry about it too much? In fact, you're probably going to try and enjoy it. Or is it the forgiving others? Do you find it hard to forgive some people? Do you tend to hold a grudge? Which of those do you think you struggle with the most? Which of those do you need to pray more earnestly about? Which of those things do you think you need to work harder at? So here's a model for prayer that Jesus gives his disciples. I don't think Jesus is suggesting that we have to say exactly these words, though there is no problem with saying exactly these words. I think he was saying, these are the big things that you ought to be regularly praying about. These are the kinds of things that should occupy your prayers. These are the things that you should be longing for, hoping for, and praying for. Verse 